Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Alexandria Country Day School podcast. In this second podcast series, we're focusing on how a personalized approach influences the educational and social-emotional development of students. In our last episode, we looked at how personalization enhances the academic learning experience in our classrooms, and today we're going to discuss the link between academic and social-emotional learning and how a personalized approach enhances the social-emotional growth of students. My name is Scott Betosh, and I'm the head of school at Alexandria Country Day School. And today we have, once again, our head of lower school, Jennifer Street. Hi, Jen. Hi, everyone. Our head of middle school, Ryan Woods. Hello, Ryan. Hi, Scott. Third grade teacher, Sarah Culberson. Hi, Sarah. Hi. And Amy Newhouse, middle school history teacher and advisor. Hello, Amy. Hi. To set the stage for considering how a personalized approach affects social-emotional learning, I'd like to ask Ryan and Jen to give us a quick overview of our social-emotional learning program. And, and maybe, Ryan, we can start with you in the middle school. Um, so in the middle school, uh, we follow the developmental designs model, um, which is an extension of the responsive classroom model that happens in the lower school. Um, every morning, we reserve 20 or 30 minutes where students can meet with their advisor, and they go through a lesson or have a conversation or an activity um, that's not about academics. That's really the key. This is not an opportunity for the math teacher to say, I need 20 minutes because I didn't finish yesterday's lesson. No, this time is reserved for social-emotional learning. Um, I would say at the core of this program is we know that we want to build relationships with kids, and one of the ways we're going to do it is by reserving this time and having important conversations with them. Um, so we really want to know who they are beyond academic beings. So we do this during this time slot. And we also want the kids to know who we are as well. I think that's a really important thing in middle school. They want to know that their teachers are humans. They're not just academic beings as well. Um, additionally, I think that sometimes we need to just clear some space. and We need to talk about what's on the mind of middle schoolers. If you don't do that, then they're going to spend their day just thinking about the things that really matter to them. And they're not paying attention to their academics. So there's another opportunity to do that during these CPR sessions. So again, um, 20 to 30 minutes in the morning is reserved each day to have these conversations. Some of the topics that we cover, we do discuss um, our core values, which are show respect, be responsible and accountable, and give 100%. Um, we spend some time talking about our learning traits. Uh, we talk about issues of diversity and inclusivity. We talk about health and wellness, which is really important for all adolescents. Um, and sometimes we just reserve space to address the, the needs of a particular group. So sometimes we see that there's a group dynamic going on with a grade level. So the advisors at that grade level will sit down and they'll design um, a CPR session that helps the students process what's going on with their grade. On other occasions, we might see that one particular advisory, this one group of 10, it has some sort of dynamic that's at play that we want to address. Um, so that's what happens during the time slot every single morning, and, and I'm really excited that we spend time every day making sure that we cover these issues. Um, Amy, maybe you can talk a little bit about addressing the individual needs of a group. Sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting that you bring up um, having the flexibility to address um, a particular group and, and that particular group's needs, because just uh, yesterday we had identified in our adv advisory groups some challenges with group dynamics. They just were really struggling to... Um, focus and, and be productive. And so we presented them with um, some descriptions of various different group roles, um, task roles, social emotional roles, and disruptive roles, and asked them to reflect on some of the roles that they've played in the past, some of the roles that they feel comfortable with, some of the roles that they, they um, find challenging, um, and also identifying some of those, you know, disruptive roles that they've played. And, um, you know, I think it was a really, it was a really important reflection, not just for them as individuals, but for us as a group, because then we were able to come back together and look at the roles that they identified that were both positive and, and maybe a little bit um, 
negative or, or that caused a challenge and look at ourselves as a small group and decide, okay, well, what do we need more of and what do we need less of? Um, and, you know, again, it was a really important um, opportunity to reflect as individuals, but also reflect as a group. That's great. And Jen, what does it look like in a lower school? Uh, as they mentioned before, you know, we start each day based on responsive classroom with a morning meeting. So we made a really thoughtful decision in our scheduling as a school to reserve that first 30 minutes or so each day so that we could really build up our classroom communities from the start. So our students in lower school come in each morning and they spend those first 30 minutes or so um, really getting a chance to check in with one another. They get to reflect on any activities or successes they had prior to on other days. They get a sense of what they're anticipating for the day to come. It's really a chance for them to build that sense of community before they really jump into the academics and the demands of the day. It also allows us as educators to use that as a frame of reference as we're working with the students that day. Um, it gives us a better sense of the personalized level of support they may need throughout different situations, different activities, different pieces of the academics throughout the day that they may be um, kind of anticipating as being a challenge for themselves throughout the day. The other thing in lower school that we did as, was to design our own social emotional learning curriculum. So in lower school, we identified five different areas within social-emotional learning that we really wanted to focus on with our students to give them really explicit instruction, coaching at an early age. So within our SEL scope and sequence, we have emotional awareness, active listening, conflict resolution, mindset, and how to really build um, encouragement within relationships. So what we do is we bring in our school counselor along with our classroom teachers, and we look at those lessons that we've designed and where they are needed within certain groups and grade levels. And we're able to implement those in a time that really fits what our students need. Yeah, I think having the flexibility in our social-emotional learning curriculum allows us to meet the needs of not just individual students, but also our whole classes. Because every class and group of students has a different dynamic. And in order for them to do their best learning, they need to be prepared to work with one another, to handle conflicts, handle challenges, um, so that they can succeed. So every week we actually have a grade level meeting and um, within that grade level meeting, we have our resource teachers, we have Jen as our head, and we also have our um, school counselor, Amy Lehman, um, alongside the grade level team. And that time is really spent talking about what are the needs of each student in each grade level and in that we'll actually pause and say you know what our group needs this lesson um, earlier in the year we recognized that our current third graders they were running at high speeds and we're needing to kind of recognize where their mind and body was before doing specific tasks in the classroom so um, with the support of Amy Lehman she actually provided us with a new SEL lesson that we actually didn't have in our so scope and sequence that was allowing or teaching the students to monitor the speed of their engine um, throughout the day. And so providing the students with the language and the strategies to do that allows us to go back throughout the school year, um, remind students of those strategies so that they know that your engine can run at any speed throughout the day and that is completely normal and every speed is right but there are speeds for right occasions. Um, and so that's something that we were able to kind of stop, 
discuss and plan to meet the needs of our specific grade. It's interesting you both gave examples about how you develop something on the spur of the moment, as it were, relating to something you were observing in the classroom. And, and that seems to distinguish this approach from one where you would be stuck with a particular curricular sequence that you have to adhere to. Um, and so really being responsive to the needs of kids sounds really essential to this program. It gets at that idea of personalization. You're able to observe and identify when a need comes up and then respond appropriately and that you have the freedom to do that. Um, it seems really important. To think about that, you also mentioned, Ryan, something else which was, uh, you both actually mentioned this, which is that you have to be mindful of what's on the minds of kids in order to have effective instruction. So maybe we can talk a little bit about how you see this affecting academics, too. Um, if you haven't dealt with the social-emotional world of the students, they're not going to have the time and attention to think about what they're doing in the day. And I think it's important. It's, it's notable that our program is anchored in a morning session, first period of the day, and a substantial amount of time for that. How do you see that playing out as you see the kids engage in their academic lives or, or behavioral lives over the course of the day? I think it's important... Um, to always remember that there's challenges below the surface that are um, causing kids to have struggles academically. So in other words, I think that when we're talking about a kid here, um, if they're experiencing some challenge academically in the classroom, we don't automatically default to this position of this is an underlying foundational skill problem related to academics. We want to say, like, what all could be at play here? So it might be that there is some sort of social emotional issue that this child is dealing with that is preventing them from finding success in the classroom. It could be a foundational issue. They're struggling with uh, reading, writing, or arithmetic. Um, or it also could be uh, learning traits, which we discussed before. Maybe they just don't have the habits to be a very successful student. Um, so I think that's a really important frame for us is that we want to, when we're thinking about kids or we're talking about kids and trying to determine what they need, we want to think about all of those three key areas and then determine what the plan is moving forward. Um, so yes, we do make sure that we start every morning with a social-emotional curriculum, but I think that it follows us throughout the day. It's not like it just stops there as we're watching and observing kids in the classroom or we're having conversations in the hall. I think it's always present and on the minds of our teachers, like what's truly going on for this kid. I think with you know our younger students in the lower school too, a lot of it's just about, it comes down to relationships. Um, we're asking young, young students to do a lot of new learning, to stretch themselves. And in order to have them do that, they need to feel safe, they need to feel comfortable, there needs to be a sense of trust within that classroom, not just within peer groups, but also with their teachers. And building that relationship early on, not just in the day, but throughout the year, um, gives them that safe space to really take risks and challenge themselves. It's a great point, I think. Uh... I think, Ryan, you mentioned earlier that it's not just getting to know the kids, but the kids get to know the adults, and I think that's true in the lower school, too, where you're, in, you're participating in that morning meeting um, and being able to share parts of yourself as an adult, which helps to build that relationship, which then ultimately allows you to have that conversation later on about academic challenges. It strikes me that there's, a, there's so much pressure on time these days. I can imagine people listening would think, well, this is all great, but how do you get the time to do this? And, and especially in environments where standardized testing demands so much time and attention. Um, and while we as an independent school are, are free of that particular pressure, there's certainly no shortage of pressure to pack a lot into the curriculum. And yet we've devoted, I think Brian, you said 25 to 30 minutes every morning. It's a similar time uh, commitment uh, for lower school, plus potentially time later in the day. My original question was, how do we justify this time? But your comments have sort of made itself evident. Um, it, it, it feels like this time that is spent really pays off later in the classroom. Yeah, without, I think, 
in the lower school, we found that on days where, let's say, we have an event, an all-school event in the morning, um, if we didn't have a morning meeting, our students often have a tough day. Mm -hmm. um, but so what we do as lower school teachers is we often find, you know what, the first time we come into the classroom as a group, we're still going to make that five, ten minute time to have a morning meeting. If that's just making sure that we are having a quick review of the schedule to prepare what we're doing today, or um, just kind of a quick share of how are we feeling this morning or today, um, we make sure that that's top priority before we get started on academics because without being prepared mentally and having a mindfulness um, to our learning, then we're not going to be able to see our students succeed to their fullest potential. And I think for myself as a, as a middle school teacher, I, I really can't overstate how valuable knowing each of my students, um, their personality, their interests, their hobbies, um, is for me as a classroom teacher in assessing how they're doing academically and how, you know, again, how they're doing emotionally and socially as well. They, they come into the classroom um, with a stronger sense of self because I know them. And as Jen said, that gives them a safe place to take risks. So I find that as a result of some of the activities that we do um, as part of our developmental designs program, some of our, our more reticent students um, have built some confidence and again there it encourages risk-taking in the classroom um, it also encourages um, perspective taking with their peers and I think that that's really valuable in the classroom as well um, you know again it, it, it helps me to effectively monitor and assess how they're doing as a whole child not just how they're doing in that particular curricular unit and we've talked a, lot, talked a lot about the how we do a group approach to social-emotional learning, but in that is getting to know, you said, the small groups that we have, the individual student and how they fit into that larger social-emotional context and being able to adapt sometimes to the needs of an individual student mm -hmm. in, that, in that case. I'm wondering if, if, if you all could just share some of what you see as the outcomes of this effort. So it sounds sort of inherently makes sense, but I wonder if, if you think about whether it's how kids behave or how you're able to address behavior in the classroom, their academic performance, what are some of the, the outcomes you see, the payoffs that you're seeing from this effort on the front end with social-emotional learning? Yeah, I think the more that we know kids, the better we can address their needs. And it seems like a really obvious statement. Um, but that, that's where we see the payoff. In my mind right now, I'm thinking about, maybe because this is what I, I deal with more often than not because I'm not in the classroom teaching, is when students make poor choices and we have some you know, behavior issues that we need to address, I know that when students come to me in those situations, I usually have a pretty good sense of what's going on for them, like the whole picture for them. Um, and that helps me figure out what's going to be our targeted intervention to make sure the student learns from the experience, doesn't repeat it. I mean, that we're really addressing the issue, not just applying a consequence and moving on. I'm even thinking about a few situations this year um, where students made some poor choices in completing an assessment and they elected to, to cheat. Um, and in one particular situation, as we were exploring it with a kid, um, was a situation where the student was a, a fully competent student, had really strong skills, and I think that their poor decision to uh, cheat in that moment was born out of anxiety and a desire to be perfect. So certainly we deliver a consequence, but at the same time we need to uh, address 
what's the issue there at play, which was anxiety and a desire to be perfect. Um, that requires one intervention. We have another student who's probably the opposite of that, and their, their cheating was a result of just not feeling like they had confidence and feeling like they were really struggling and frustrating and hadn't mastered concepts, and that's why they made that choice. That, that requires a totally different intervention. Both come up with a consequence for a poor choice, but how are you going to help a student in that situation? I don't know that I would have known that um, had I not been in constant dialogue with teachers who are in constant contact with these kids and with the parents. Um, so I think that's a good example of how like really getting to know kids pays off in the long run. And I think also being willing to adapt your responses to the individual needs of the students. That's mm -hmm. that personalization piece because I think sometimes we get hung up on um, equal treatment for all things. Mm -hmm. and, and what we're really saying is that every student is an individual who needs some additional attention. There are consequences, mm -hmm. but there may be adaptations to that. Do we see similar things in the lower school? We do, you know, with our younger students, sometimes it's just a matter of, again, that morning meeting, checking in, and, and for our younger kids, maybe knowing that their parents are traveling, and they may be on a trip or something, and that often can have such an impact on their day, and had you not started the day kind of making that connection with them and knowing what's going on outside of school doesn't give you the context to really address what's at the root of their struggles. And so knowing our students, knowing what they are encountering both in and out of school gives us a chance to really look at the situation again as a whole and really address what's at the root of problems. Yeah, and I, just to add to that, one of the things that we do in the third grade is we, um, part of our share for morning meeting is checking in on a uh, one to 10 scale of how you're feeling today. And students can share that privately um, with me or um, we actually have a check-in board where they can move their magnet to a certain spot or they can even share aloud stating I'm at a five because my mom is traveling for work and she's not going to be back until Thursday. That allows me to know what's going on with the child but also allows um, their classmates to understand, you know what, like maybe I want to make sure that when so-and-so kind of look sad, it's probably because of what they just shared. Um, it also allows them to share with me and their classmates if they're not looking forward to something in the day or if they're really looking forward to something in the day um, because that can really prepare us for our learning. So it really strikes me that in order to provide the kind of personalized approach that we do to social-emotional learning, it requires being able to dedicate the time to it, to really value it in the curriculum so that we give it the time it deserves, really being able to be flexible and willing to adapt the program uh, that we've designed to meet the needs of individual students. And I think that's really supported by our size. Being being small, having small, very small classrooms allows that kind of individualization that you just can't get at, at a, in a larger environment. And those things really pay off ultimately academically because you're able to adapt knowing where the student is socially and emotionally in their work, not just in their interactions with peers, but as they're engaging in the work, as your examples have, have really provided so well. We're about out of time, so <clears throat> I want to thank our division heads, Ryan Woods and Jen Street, and thank you also to third grade teacher Sarah Culberson and middle school teacher Amy Newhouse. Uh, in our next episode, we'll discuss how personalization influences how we work with families. So be on the lookout for this episode on iTunes, and if you haven't already done so, check out our previous podcast series on grit and perseverance. And we'd love it if you'd rate our podcast and leave us a comment. We really value your thoughts and suggestions for how we can make this podcast as effective as possible. Thank you for listening.